The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. We're going to speak today about the attributes of God. Now, this, this section of the study on the Trinity is going to run quite a while because there are a lot of attributes of God that are revealed in Scripture. So we're going to, we're, naturally, I can't do them all in one day because we wouldn't, we wouldn't be, have enough time to get through them all. So I'm going to break them up into, into sections. Matthew chapter 11, look at verse 25 with me. We read, at that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, and neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will Reveal him. Uh, notice that phrase there. Jesus said, "And unto him whom whosoever the Son will reveal him." God the Father, His attributes. Let's pray before we go further. Father, thank you for this time we have today. I pray that you would be glorified and honored in all that we will say. Thank you for this now, and we ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Reduced to its simplest definition. An attribute of God is whatever God has in any way revealed as being true of himself. Uh, A.W. Tozier wrote, if an attribute is something true of God, it is also something that we can conceive as being true of him. God, being infinite, must possess attributes about which we can know nothing. And this is very true. God is far more complex than you or I can comprehend. Uh, But it is important. It's important that we do comprehend that which God has revealed of himself. You know, there's a lot of confusion about God in this world. Amen. There's a lot of people out there that are very, very confused. Uh, At work, I'm approached by many people who who claim to be believers, who claim to be Christians, yet they have, they have very confused concepts of, of God's uh, purpose and plans for us and, and the things that we should do as his children. And it's alarming. It really is alarming because as, as generation upon generation passes, man is going to lose more and more of his awareness of God unless... We teach the right things. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, as, a, as a former teacher, I know Mrs. Rupert sitting right here can attest to this also. Uh, the last few years we had our school here, I was very disturbed by the lack of, of research skills that we had in students. Uh, students. The students' idea of writing a paper, for instance, if we gave them a a topic to write a paper on. They just would go home and Google the topic. Uh, 
and cut and paste everything into a report and turned it in. And no research, no study, no investigation, no discovery, uh, just, just cut and paste. And unfortunately, a lot, that's what's happening in our spiritual world as well. Uh, a lot of younger Christians are just cutting and pasting. Uh, they Google up uh, how to please God, and they, they find these wacky sites by these false teachers who put all this information out there. And they read it and trust it as being truth. And so they develop these attitudes and these opinions of, of what it's like to honor and worship God. And this is why we see things in the condition they are today. I, I, like, I like Google. Uh, when I prepare a message or, an, or a sermon, I, I do Google some subjects, but I've learned which, which sites are, are, are reputable and which are not. But you can't beat, you can't beat going to the original manuscript, to the Bible. You can't beat going to the Bible and letting the true teacher of, the, of God teach you. And that is the Holy Spirit. You know, I learned many years ago, if I approach the word of God and prayerfully yield myself and ask the Holy Spirit to guide me, he will. He will show me truth. And he will reveal truth in my heart. And so we need to get back to the basics of studying the word of God. Uh, it's wonderful to come to a church service and sit and listen to someone teach the Bible. That's, that's a wonderful thing. But that doesn't excuse you and I away. It doesn't excuse us, excuse us away from the need that we have to study the word of God ourselves. Uh, to, to, to go and, and, and dig into God's word. Uh, I remember years ago when I, when I did a Bible study, I have seven or eight textbooks open on the table in front of me. I'd have a, an, old, an old dictionary, as old as I could get my hands on. Uh, and I'd have a commentary. And <laughs> I'd have all kinds of, of uh, history books and different, different research topics. And I'd have all these things laid out. And it was a lot more difficult. It really was. Very time-consuming to study the Bible that way. But the fact is, the process of discovery is how you learn. Going through and finding the information and, and, and discovering the truth that's in there is, is the way we learn. Uh, otherwise, we will, we will be subject to believe any, any lie we hear. And so that's important. And we, it, we need to get back to that. We need to get back to that, to that way of studying God's word and, and teaching our children that way to study God's word as well. So we want to talk about the attributes of God and we want to define these attributes. Now, it must be concluded that there are hidden facts of God's nature completely unknown and perhaps even unknowable to, to us as, as finite human beings, um, unknown by any created being or any, even the angels of God. There are, we, have to, we have to conclude that there are some things we just don't know, and we won't know 
until we are in his presence. And even then, there may, there may be things about God that we still won't know. And we still won't comprehend. Because God is, is like no other being in the, in the universe. These things would be known only by God himself. But there are 21 attributes that God has revealed about himself in Scripture. And these are the ones that I want to focus on because this is the testimony that God has given of himself. These are the attributes we need to know and understand if we will know how to please the Lord. So let's look at those. We'll begin this morning with number one. God is self-existent. He is self-existent. In Exodus chapter 3, we read from verse 13, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. That pretty much sums it up. God said, I am because I am. Self-existent. We've already discussed the, the, the existence of God in our, in our previous lessons. Uh, and we've looked at, at the many facets of his nature. But one of his attributes is his self-existence. This is simply to say he exists because he exists. I am that I am. Now, everyone here this morning, all of us sitting here, we all had a beginning. My beginning was on October 21st, 1957. That was my beginning. Of course, you could argue my beginning was nine months prior to that. Or you could even argue my, my beginning was in, it, was in, in the, at the time God created the earth, because he already knew me then, right? But my beginning as in my human form, my physical form, began at my birth. You all had beginnings. Some of you had beginnings before me. Some of you had beginnings after me. As time goes on, there were fewer that had beginnings before me and many more than after me. I remember uh, we used to go camping and uh, Charlotte can remember we used to go to the Pioneer Camp. Remember that? We'd always put our tents up next to each other, my wife and I and you. And I remember one year we were talking about everyone's age and, and, and Charlotte was saying she was the oldest one there. And uh, I won't tell you how old she was, but, uh, you know, for maybe for 20 bucks I will. But anyway, um, she talked about, uh, she was the oldest one there, and we talked about and A few years passed, and Charlotte quit attending the, the camp out. Uh, and uh, that year, I was sitting there with my wife. I said, well, honey, I guess now we're the oldest ones here. And uh, before too many more years after that, 
my wife and I had to stop also because it just got too difficult. And uh, we, one year we bought one of these big queen-size inflatable mattresses. The thing was supposed to be this high off the ground. And we bought that. And I was so excited about that. We got in there that night, and about halfway through the night, we were, we were both in the middle of the thing. And it, it, would not, it wouldn't hold air. Just wouldn't hold air, so we kind of had to give it up. The only way I can camp now is in an RV. Uh, yes, you know. And my idea of roughing it, by the way, is staying at a hotel with no room service. That's, that's about as rough as I want to get anymore. But you know, we all had a beginning. Everyone here, not only that, but everyone here owes your existence to someone else. I owe my existence to my mother and father. They, are the, they are, were the progenitors that brought me forth. Everyone here, none of you here were immaculately born, right? You all had parents. You all had a mother and a father. So all of us here owe our, our existence to another. But not so with God. God is not dependent upon anyone or anything. God had no beginning. He has always existed. He has always been. He is self-existent. There's no, there was no cause for his, for his beginning. There was no cause for his existence. Now, listen, you can try all you want, but I, 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 I just don't think that any of us here can fully fathom that. We, we can accept it, and we can believe it, but we can't reconcile it, because we don't have that ability. You see, to, to reconcile something, you have to have a frame of reference. And I have no frame of reference to spontaneous existence. I just don't have that. But even, spo- even spontaneous existence would be a cause for God's existence. And he has no cause for his existence. So he exists beyond even spontaneous existence. This is, a, this is a wonderful fact. It's one that should humble us. It's one that should cause us to, to look at God in, in amazement and wonder and truly, truly glorify him with, our, with our, our thoughts in life. But God is not dependent upon anyone. He's not be, beholding to anyone. He, he doesn't owe his existence to anyone and nothing or, or no one has control over his, his being. Uh, and, and in different areas, letter A on your sheet, his knowledge. God, God owes his knowledge to no one. Now, I owe my knowledge to people. I've had teachers over the years that have taught me and instructed me. My mother and father, they instructed me. They, they imparted unto me knowledge. But God, in his knowledge, owes his knowledge to no one. In Romans chapter 11, we read, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor? Just think about it for a moment. All knowledge in the universe emanates from the Father, emanates from God. Who can teach the Lord? Who, who's going to offer God counsel? 
If, if God makes a decision, who does he go to? Does he go to the archangel Gabriel and say, Gabriel, have a seat for a moment. I, I need to make a decision here. I'd like to have your input. I'd like to know what you think about that. You know, there's a lot of people on earth who think that God does that. A lot of people in this world think that God uh, looks to them for, for his knowledge and wisdom. They must think that because they think they're smarter than God. This is why it is so foolish for us to pass judgment upon each other. How, how foolish are we when we seek to judge another person? I mean, we have to understand, sometimes we make inferences. Everybody know what an inference is, right? Sometimes we make inferences because people project certain things. And so from what we see of them, we, we infer certain things. We assume certain things. But we don't, we don't have the wisdom, the knowledge, or the understanding to judge people. Uh, the, the Indians, and I'm talking about the American Indians, had a saying, don't judge a man till you've walked a mile in his moccasins. And, and that's a wise saying, by the way, and it's a, it's a good saying to apply to ourselves. Um, you know, sometimes people may do things that we don't like. But we don't understand, we may not understand why they did those things. Now, I'm not talking about terrible things like murderers and, and things like that. I'm, I'm just talking about mistakes people make, things they do wrong. You know, when I, when I was a teacher for, for 17 years here and a student would come to school and would act, would behave poorly, and this was a student who was typically a good student, you know, my first thought was always, what's bothering him or her? Something must be bothering them. Because sometimes people just act poorly. And, and sometimes it could be because of some problem in their life. So before we, we pass judgment and say, oh, he's a rotten, lousy kid. You know, maybe we need to just stop and, and think, you know, there may be something we don't know going on here. And be patient and be kind. But, but we're so quick to judge, aren't we? So we need to be careful with that. But God has all knowledge. When, ju- when God judges, he, he judges with justice. It's fair and it's, it's, it's reasonable. So God owes, looks to no one for his knowledge. But then secondly, <laughs> also God is self-existent in his will. Letter B, his will. Romans 9.19 Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Yes, God has a will. And God's will is self-existent. He, he, he doesn't depend on anyone or anything for establishing or for carrying out his will. God's will is supreme. It's above all things. Now, what have we done, though? What, what have I, I've noticed over the, the last 
30 years or so, what have men done to the will of, of the Father, to the will of God? And, and, and I'll, I'll stay within our, our own Baptist churches today. What has, what has men done with the will of God? <laughs> well, they've subjugated it to the will of man. Men have subjugated the will of God to their own will. They rewrite the Bible. They paraphrase the Bible into ways that would justify their actions rather than glorify and honor the will of the Father. And that's what men do. Men subject the will of God to their own wills. We see this, we see this all the time. We have given the quote-unquote free will of man more authority than the sovereign will of God. Yes, we have. And the result of that is the, is the, the pollution of biblical doctrine. You know, sometimes I, I share things with some of the people I work with concerning, for instance, election. And they look at me like, what? What, what, what are you talking about? And, and we, have so, we have so polluted the word of God and so, so corrupted the will of God that we have made heaven, uh, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you ever go to a, 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 a circus or something and they got this wheel you spin and, and it spins around, it's got a bunch of different numbers on it, a roulette wheel I think they call it or something like that. We've made the will of God almost like a roulette wheel. Well, I'm going to put my money on baptism and spin the wheel. I'm going to lay my money over here on, uh, on church membership and going to spin that wheel. And, and totally dis, dis, just dismissing the will of God as, as stated in the Bible. Jesus said, you have not chosen me. I've chosen you. Amen. For years, when I, when I, when the Lord saved me, I, I wasn't aware of the doctrines of grace. And for years, I, I, I would go out witnessing to people, and I would urge them to make a choice for Christ, to accept Jesus as their Savior. That doesn't sound so bad, does it? Does that really sound that bad to say you need to accept Jesus? As your savior, like you have a choice in the matter, like like Jesus is up against Buddha and and, and everything else. And, oh, I choose Jesus. Uh, no, I don't accept Christ. Christ accepts me. And there's a big difference in that. But God's will is not subject to anyone or or any opinion of any man. His will is self-existent. What else is, is self-existent with God? Well, let her see his power. His power. Psalm 115, verse 3. But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Jesus stated in Acts 1.8 that we will receive our power from the Holy Ghost. And of course, we know from our 
our previous studies that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is in fact God. It's one of his revelations of himself to us. It's one member of the Trinity. Yet in Matthew chapter 28, in verse 18, Jesus states that all power is his. And again, this does not conflict with Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, because Jesus, the Son, is the, is the second member of the Trinity. He is God. All power belongs to God. The power to create the universe. I was watching a science program the other day. A program called How the Universe Works. I, I like that show. I really do. I like to watch it. And now... Listen to this. Now scientists are saying, well, there, there may not have been a Big Bang. That might not be how things got started. So they're looking for other things now. They, they just won't admit that God created all things. But you see, they can't prove their Big Bang, so they're giving up on it. And they're not going to prove their next theory either, unless that theory is that God created all things. God had the power to create, God had the power to create man. Since I was a little boy and since before that, men have been looking for the missing link, right? They've been looking for what will link man back to apes and down the line. And they're never going to find that because it doesn't exist. Because God made apes, but God made man. And he made man separate from apes, although... I think a lot of people resemble apes. I mean, I, I tell you what, man. Some of the, but let me get off of that. The power to create man, power to sustain all things. What keeps, what keeps all of this together? What, what keeps the planets in the, in the sky from flying all over the place and striking us and killing us? What does all that? It's God. God sustains all things. He controls all things. All power in the universe emanates from God. He is self-existent in his power. My car, when church is over and I, I go to leave, hopefully, when I put my key in and turn, it's going to start. Hopefully. Because when I turn the key, it's going to send a signal to the starter which is going to turn the flywheel, which is going to start the process going. Tell me if I'm wrong, Bob. Which is going to make the engine start. And then I'll put it in gear, which will engage the transmission, which will make the axle start to turn, and will make the car move. But there was a, there was a cause for all of that power. But with God, there is no, no cause for his power. His power is self-existent. Next. God's self-existent in his counsel, letter D. Psalm 33. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. We said earlier, who's going to offer counsel to God? Who knows more than God? Who has more knowledge or wisdom than God? Who can advise God in anything? God is self-existent in his counsel. And he never, 
ever makes a mistake. God never has to say, oh, I need a mulligan over here. I messed up. God never does that. Now, the Bible does say in a couple of places that it repented God. It repented God that he created man. And there's a couple of places in scripture where we see God says, not, God isn't saying, I wish I hadn't done that. He's just saying, you know, it made, made him sorry that, that, he had to, that he had that done, that he created that. But God never makes a mistake. Never. When, when I do something in my life and I perceive it to be a mistake, it wasn't God that made that mistake. In fact, God will make that mistake right. It was my own stupidity that caused me to rebel against the, the counsel of God and to do the wrong thing. Hmm? That's exactly what, what it is. God may allow it to happen. God is always aware, by the way. God, God didn't, doesn't go look over here and while he's watching over here, he looks back and says, oh, What have you done? God doesn't do that. He knows. God is aware of all things. God knows my end from my beginning. He knows all things. God knows every mistake I will make. He knows every choice I will make in my entire life. Some he stops, some he lets happen. Sometimes God says, all right, Dalton, you won't learn it the easy way. So go ahead. It's kind of like when I was a kid. I used to like to fidget with the lawnmower while it was running. And dad used to tell me, don't touch that, son. You're going to get shocked. It was right next to, you know, right there next to the spark plug, the little throttle control. And, and he told me many times, don't touch that. Don't mess with that. Finally, one day he got tired of telling me. So he just he just watched. And I reached down there and my my finger touched that spark plug and pow. Oh, man, the pain in my hand. I was crying. Ah! What did he do? Well, he said, you know what? You don't believe me? Go ahead. Go ahead and touch it. Listen, God. is self self existent in his counsel. And everything that he has willed shall be shall be done. So God is self-existent. I need to move on. Uh, I'm not going to have time to get all four of these today. Number two, God is self-sufficient. Not only is he self-existent, but he's also self-sufficient. Psalm 50, for every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee. For the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Listen, God does not need us today. I get tired of hearing that. Sometimes you listen to some of these TV evangelists and they say, God needs you. No, he doesn't. God doesn't need me. God's totally self-existent. God doesn't need me to do his work. Uh, excuse me, you remember God used a donkey? You remember that? Huh? Yeah, he used a donkey. The donkey spoke to Balaam. Uh, God spoke, and the world came into existence. 
God speaks and my life is over. Listen, God, God doesn't need me. But I need him. Oh, how I need God. And you know, if we're not careful, we forget that. I, I don't forget it as often now that I'm older. When I was younger, I used to forget this a lot. I get so busy with life, so busy with what I was doing that sometimes I'd, I'd forget that it, it was God that was doing things, not me. And we need to remember that. We need God. Moms, you need God to, to raise your children. Dads, you need God to provide for your family. We need God. He doesn't need us. He's, he is self-sufficient. So let us remember as we, we're going to stop here, but as we go through this study on the attributes of God, let us remember to, to, to see God in all his glory and, and, and not to just listen to what men say about God, but let God reveal himself to you. And his word. Study the Bible. I just think there's not enough people still studying the word of God. They come to church and let the preacher preach to them or teach them. But it's that self, that time of, of self-discovery. Studying the word of God ourselves. Uh, and allowing God's spirit to teach us. Alright folks, that's all the time we have this morning. Thank you and you are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.